Here at HorrorOasis.com, we are advocates of the horror genre and strive to amplify underrepresented voices in the horror community. This space is for indie artists to promote their work. Please enjoy your stay, and hopefully it's not your last. Spacefaring researchers disturb an ancient horror. An enchanted object curses a grieving widow. A haunted reel torments a film student. A murder trial hinges on a chilling testimony. Howls from Hell. A new horror anthology from Howl Society Press. Stephen Graham Jones calls it quality horror by true believers who can write. With a foreword by Grady Hendrix, Howls from Hell unveils the horror writers of tomorrow with spine-tingling stories from P.L. McMillan, Shane Hawk, J.W. Donnelly, Lindsay Ragsdale, Amanda Nevada DeMille, and others. Available now in paperback, ebook, and audiobook from Amazon and most other major booksellers. Howls from Hell. Welcome to Dead Headspace, a part of Silver Shamrock's Horrorcast, a podcast network that includes Killing Time with Silver Shamrock and Unburying the Dead, where we, meaning me, Brennan LaFaro, Ken McKinley, well-read beard, and uh, now guest host, exhume classic car paperbacks for the new generation. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And returning guest host, Erica Robbins. Say hi, Erica. Hello. And today we are talking for a third time with the author of Goddess of Filth and The Queen of Cicadas, amongst many other books, Violet Castro. Hi, Violet. Hi, and yes, thank you for having me on again. I mean, thank you, thank you, thank you. Absolutely. We, we love talking. Big fans of you as a person. Writer. Oh, thank you. Um, and we are all going to actually be able to have a chance to meet you at Merrimack, but we'll talk more about that later. Yeah, Can't wait for that. Um, first appearance for V, if anyone's interested, was with Sonora Taylor. Uh, that was episode 10, was titled Fright Girl Summer, back in June of 2020. Second appearance with V was a solo episode, episode 36 in September of 2020. Uh, take it away, Erica. Yeah, so I actually went back and re-listened to those episodes this morning. Um, you've been very busy since then. You were kind of hinting at a lot of things you have coming up. So can you fill us in on what you've been up to since then? Yeah, well, I mean, it's just like all of the, I mean, publishing is slow, period. It's just slow. So like all the things that I originally talked about, so like Mestiza Blood is will be out in uh, November, um, the Queen of the Cicadas is out now. Goddess of Filth is out now. Um, so I basically wrote another novel, which is with my agent. I, I, I have an agent now, my God. 
which was like, um, you know, for people who are like, oh, my God, it just uh, it's not happening. You just have to keep going like this is my fourth novel. Congrats, um, by the way. Both thank you. Thank you. Um, submitting it. Uh, so that's hopefully we'll find a home. And, um, yeah, just, uh, I have a novel that I've been contracted to write, but I can't say anything about. Um, and then I've, I'm just, uh, cleaning up two other novels, one of them, Maria the Wanted. So hopefully that though they can, it can go to another publisher, um, because I self-published that. Um, but then I have a science fiction novel that I'm tidying up that to find a home. So a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I, I'd love to jump in real quick before we get yeah. to any big books. And, you know, you talked about uh, it. When, when I think of you on this episode, a lot of times you'll be telling uh, or all of our episodes, you'll be telling a story and you'll just jump in and interrupt yourself to offer advice to listeners and aspiring writers. So, you know, you talked about people who uh, are querying to agents and stuff. Yeah. You said, keep working, persevere, it'll happen. So I wonder if you could speak. I feel like you're a very good model of perseverance and working hard and just believing in yourself and not giving up. I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, like I said, this is my, this was my fourth novel querying. And, um, you just, uh, you have to, again, like you said, you have to just believe in your work. Um, and when you get, I think the most important thing and when querying agents and, and even querying short stories or anything is not to let your ego get in the way of when it comes to feedback or, um, you know, constructive criticism, or you need to keep an open mind. If you, a lot of times agents can't, they just can't give you feedback. Um, don't respond to them. Don't, don't, don't feel you have like, don't prove anything. The best advice is to say, okay, it's a rejection. Put your head back down and keep working. Um, you know, if you feel like you're really stuck, have beta readers read it and, and take the information in. Now you can take it in with an open mind and open heart. And, and it's a less painful than being like, oh, oh my God, how can they say this? And, uh, uh, and get into a huff. But if enough people say, you know, this isn't working, then you need to have an open mind enough to say, you know what? Like, be a little humble and be like, maybe it isn't working. How can I rework it? Think about it. You know, um, meditate on it, put it aside and then look at it with fresh eyes. Um, and for me, you know, I think you just have to be open to um, growing as a writer, growing as an individual and keep revisiting things and not quitting, but go with it with an open mind and, and just saying like, look, I expect nothing. This is what I want. However, it is a game. It is a numbers game, but it's also like you need to know when to like revisit something, when to start something else, when to put something aside and um, continually grow. And I've had a lot of novellas turn into novels. So if there's something and short stories turn to goddess of filth was a short story that was rejected. And I, you know, said, right, okay, it didn't work. What, what is it? And I just revisited turned it into a novella and now it's out and people love it. So, you know, 
you don't have to, you know, you need to be a little flexible when it comes to reaching your goals. I think that's the the best way to put it is be a little flexible when you have a goal because you don't know how it's going to show up. I, I love the flexibility. Uh, the one that really sticks out to me, mostly because I've found that it works for me in the past, is just letting that time pass. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's any substitute for looking at a piece of your own work uh, weeks or even months after yes. you last left it because, you know, it's, I think uh, writers go different ways. Some people get so involved in something they're working on that they fall in love with it. Some people get so close to something they're working on that they never want to see it again. And <laughs> giving yourself time away from it is just absolutely invaluable. A hundred percent agree. So, Brennan, it sounded like you wanted to lead into some other books. I'm curious what you want to jump in first, man. You know what? Uh, Violet already kind of took us a little bit toward uh, Goddess of Filth. So you said that that was a story that you received uh, rejection for and mm-hmm. and you went back with fresh eyes to rework it. Uh, it ended up there was more story to tell. So I wonder if you yeah. can tell us a little bit. Uh Oh, this is a tricky one. So, you know, I I wonder if you could tell us how that evolved, what what got added and what it got expanded to make that become a novella. Um, so I really wanted to for that story. Well, and it was a short story to get into a an anthology with a lot of big names. And I was like, really like, you know, oh, my God, I, this would be really great. I'd love to. Um and it was rejected. And I was upset. I'll be honest, I was upset. And so I said, okay, well, let me just like brush it up. I had um, Sonora read it. And um, I just, you know, held it close to me. And then I was contacted by a publisher who wanted um, the Queen of the Cicadas, but I was trying to get an agent. And I was like, look, I'm holding on to Queen of the Cicadas because I'm trying to get an agent. And so they're like, okay, well, and I said, but I have, can I, can I pitch you something? So I pitched the idea of Goddess of Filth, which was just a short story. And they're like, we love it. I said, all right, give me a couple weeks. And there you go. And that's what happened. They liked it. And boom, Uh, I just expanded on the characters. I expanded on the store. You know, I just sat down. And just let it flow. Just let it. I just. I just allowed it to write itself. I just allowed the story to take me where it wanted to take me. And there can, you go. <laughs> can you tell us for those that have, for potential readers what the synopsis is? So basically, there are. Um, you know, I'm from San Antonio, Texas. So you have a group of friends. Um, you know, they're just out of high school. Over a year, you know, they've been out of high school a year, and one of them is going to college. And um, so they're trying to spend as much time as possible with her. They decide to do a seance, kind of like in the craft, you know, just having fun, drink, drinking. They shouldn't be drinking because they're underage. And, um, you know, that's they, the main character, Lourdes, wants to conjure, you know, she's, she doesn't know what she's going to do. She doesn't have, you know, money straight away for college. Um, kind of like when you're a young woman and you're, and you're trying to figure things out. And, um, 
So she puts all of her intention and energy on, on, on conjuring something or someone for direction to be seen and heard. And, well, it was answered, but not in the way you think and not by the kind of entity that you would imagine. <laughs> so that's kind of how I, and then I just went from there. And then obviously I had to expand it to like, um, you know, other stories. Um, there's also a priest who's really bad. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say more about that. I'll leave that for people to find out. I like what you did with it. I, um, I, I, I always, and this is a great example. I'm going to go back to, I can't, I think it's when we had you on the second time. You mentioned something that stuck with Brian and I because we've talked about it privately and it just, you know, we try to, it helps us make uh, conscious choices with looking for newer uh, readers, I mean writers. And you said, um, and this is worth reiterating, I think, for people that haven't heard this from you, that if you see a bar and it is full of one type of clientele and you're not that clientele, you're a little cautious about going in because are you accepted? And that's how that was your analogy with um, mm-hmm. certain, I'm just going to say shows or anthologies or publishers. Now, I think when you read something like Goddess of Filth, it's a great example of, hey, this is a different type of voice telling a, a seance story. Um, I think it's fair to say something to do on the spectrum of Catholicism too. Yeah. Of the whole priest thing. And it's great. I love what I've never read that type of way of approaching it. So I Thank just want you. to throw Yeah. I, I just want to throw that out there. Um, <laughs> like your, your combination of when it's not for lack of a better term, eroticism but i again i it's not exactly that uh, that mixed with the brutality of some of your elements in your horror stories they're great i, I that's what drew oh, me thank to you, originally. you absolutely thank you. erica i would love to hear what your questions are for this yeah well i've got a couple things so i <laughs> i need to stop saying i will read anything except like erotica themes because <laughs> obviously you've got elements in your book and I was nervous at first I was like oh no I'm I'm not gonna like it like ooh, I loved it I oh thank you <laughs> yeah so I guess my thing with that whole like blending of genres because I was so like against it I was like nah I'm not I don't really want sex in my book small set um but I don't like it when it's added just for like shock value or just for the sake of adding it in I feel like in your works it really adds to the story. I mean, obviously, but (laughs) it's not like, you know, coming from someone who's nervous about those types of things in books. And like, I've read some gnarly stuff where it was like total torture porn. And I was just like, Oh boy. But I love the way that you wrote it. It's very personal. If that makes sense. Like it, it feels very real. And obviously in this book, it was pretty shocking what was happening, but at the same time, it wasn't like jarring, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, so um, that was my first. Oh, thank thing. you. Well, I'm <laughs> yeah. really glad that you, you know, you, uh, it, it, it resonated with you and it was something that you could really kind of feel because for me, um, I think again, like horror, well, you touched on something interesting where you're like, oh, I've read some, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not good. I don't want the sex because of I've read this and this and this. Mm-hmm. And that's because, 
you know, that a lot of women have been excluded from writing sex their way. Um, and in a way that reflects their experiences, because we all go through puberty, then we go through young adulthood, then we become women, then sometimes, sometimes we become mothers, it's not a guarantee, and then you sometimes, it's not a guarantee, you will be in a marriage. And, you know, there's an evolution to who you are as a person, an evolution to who you are as a woman, and an evolution to your sexuality. And that's something that I like to reflect in everything that I write. So that was like sexuality in the beginning um, of life. And then Mestiza Blood has a lot of uh, sexuality dealing with sex work. Um, and I just wrote a piece for um, Crime Reads um, about sex work in fiction. And um, so I, I feel like Let's talk, let's, let, let's, you know, there's a song by Salt, Salt and Pepper. Let's talk about sex, you know, let's <laughs> talk about sex, baby. Let's, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I love that song, but like, <laughs> it's just a part of life. So make it natural, make it real. Don't make it um, gratuitous. And it, it can be whatever it is to each person. Make it natural, not like, um, you know, it can't. It can titillate, but that should not be the first intention. When um, you were first exploring this publicly in your fiction, um, I'm just going to talk about me real quick, how it relates to this question. I started really diving into horror when I was at a point in my life, early teens. Um, it was right before I met my wife where there were some people in my family, some people I considered close friends at the time. It was a lot of toxicity between drugs, a lot of crazy shit happening, alcoholism. Um, and I was very angry, but it's hard to express that with people that you're like, but I love them because it builds mm -hmm. up. So. The way I expressed that was I wrote an unpublished piece, uh, a novel, where there's a lot of violence in it. And then eventually found folks in the horror genre. And I was still nervous to see, is this too far? Are they going to think I need a straight jacket or whatever? That's just what I thought, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, then you meet like-minded people and you're like, wait a minute. There's like a, a bunch of people that get praised for this work. And, and get paid for it. Now, my question for you is, did you have a similar experience when you started writing? Were you nervous to, and especially, I got to imagine, um, I don't want to assume, but I would imagine that it's maybe a little bit more um, nerve-wracking as a woman and as a woman of color than being a straight white dude that's doing this, putting them out there. So it, am I hitting the nail on the head at all? No, absolutely. You know, being a woman of color and 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 just being virtually like, okay, I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know where to start. I'm just going to do it. But yeah, I was in a point in my life where I, I was feeling a really huge um, void, an emptiness, just really not happy. And it was getting worse. And I just decided to do it. You know, I just, I just said, well, it's going to be what it's going to be. I, I, I had no idea where it was going to go. I, I knew where I possibly wanted it to go, but I would have never. Um, and I guess that's what's so amazing about the universe. You just, uh, 
I would have never have um, thought of kind of the 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 road I've taken so far and what I've created and all the books I've written. It was never even in my imagination. It's been better. And so, you know, yeah, you get those nerves, but at the same time, I've always been like a gutsy person. I've always kind of taken risks and I've always, because I am a woman of color, have had to, in your mind, you just know you have to kind of do or die. There really is no choice because ain't nothing going to be given to you. Ain't nothing going to be handed to you. You Sometimes you just have to like say, well, I got to fucking do this and you do it. Um, and you got to hold your own and you can't uh, hold back. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I was I was I was in need of something. And, and for me, horror is something I've always loved. And I just decided to do it. And horror, like you said, it gives you a way to express um, things that you just can't really talk about just like normally to like on the street, like, Hey everyone, you know, it's not like coffee talk. It's like, let's explore this because it's a dark subject. It's dark emotions in the darkness. And, but when you do explore dark, it's, 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 it's interesting because when you explore dark emotions, dark things in life experiences through something like horror, crime, um, speculative fiction, even science fiction, it ironically sheds light on it. You are actively shining a light on the dark parts of the human experience when you explore it through horror and dark fiction. And that's what we need more of in the world is light. Yeah. Understanding with each other. That's brilliant. Um, I would actually really love to, if we were all in a coffee shop now, I'd love <laughs> to just do this with you guys in person. Um, <laughs> it reminds me of a time when I was with my family in it in a breakfast shop and the people behind us, uh, no judgment on their part, but they were just talking about the Bible and stuff. So like, I'm thinking, well, what's, you know, what's the difference? They're both kind of horror books. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I mean, there are parts of you're like, yikes. Right. Who, what, who was writing that? What were they going through? Yikes. <laughs> so like family killing each other, crucifixion, you know, people getting kicked out of their homes. It's just revelation. Uh, like you got a, oh, you yeah. got a dragon with six heads and a woman named Babylon and she's having a baby on the back and it's gobbling up the, uh, you're like, what? <laughs> Someone was taking some kind of hallucinogenic oil. Probably. Somebody ate the wrong berry that day. <laughs> <laughs> they, they be foraging the wrong thing. <laughs> Brennan, uh, we're sidestepping here, but th- I-, I can't think of a better segue for you to plug a story in a book that's coming out later this summer. Do you oh, know what? The, oh, yeah. the bad book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, the bad book. Uh, I'm like, huh? Yes, I have a story uh, in John Taft's um, anthology, the bad book. And the story's called The House That, that Demons Built. And, um, you know, I wrote it before the whole Capitol Hill thing happened. And uh, ironically, and, but, you know, there was this huge wind up before that and anxiety in November and then anxiety up to January. And um, 
a lot of talk about, um, you know, just the changes in, in democracy in the country and, and freedom of speech. There were all these discussions going on. And when I had the, had to write the story, um, I went through the Bible because it's called the bad book. And I just kind of went through the passages and different things. And then the one specific passage, because you had to base it on like the Bible and do a twist. I said, wow, that's, that's interesting. That's really, what if, what if there were, what happens to the lingering bad juju, you know, where does it come from? Where does it go? How does it, um, how does it fester and become something even bigger and scarier? And so I took this passage from the Bible and wrote the story. And then I wasn't finished writing it. And the capital thing happened. And I was like, oh, God, I'm writing this story. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, but obviously, a lot of my stuff has, like, you know, a positive, a po- there's a positivity to it. So, you know, it's, it, it does uh, land on a positive foot, but again, like I said, you explore those dark things and in, in turn, it, it does shed some light. I, I think there's probably, I know you said that you started it before January 6th, but I think there are probably many, many writers, uh, myself included, who have, you know, a story, whether it's seen the light of day or not, uh, in response to that. Uh, now I, I'm kind of curious, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but what was the response to that? Like in England? I think people were really shocked. I was shocked. I think in England, but the thing is England doesn't have any room to throw stones. I don't think any country, any democracy has any fucking room to throw stones at this point in time. I mean, you know, I think the pandemic has shown that. Look at the response of the governments and and kind of, you know, everything. Nobody there nobody has any room to throw stones, but people were kind of like, wow, because the US has always prided itself on being this like beacon and and being so amazing. And it's and in many ways, you know, it you know, there are a lot of amazing things about the US. However, you know, there, again, everything has to evolve. Everything has to change. Everything has to, um, grow. And, um, I would like to think that part of these things that are happening, like the Capitol, were a part of growing pains to be better, to be great, to, to look at the old established wounds and say, you know what, we're going to stop um, letting scabs grow and then pick at them. We're going to stop putting a bandaid over, you know, a, a broken bone. We're going to actually change, evolve, grow, fix, treat in the, in, in a way that really makes a difference and matters. So, yeah, I think everybody was just kind of like, wow, that's, you just didn't expect that to happen. Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> I think we felt that way too, <laughs> Patrick. I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna throw stuff there. I'm surprised that 
And it's safe to say that there's no right wingers, I think, because I haven't heard them. They're allowed that listen to us. So I'm just surprised that that dude's not in prison, the president and a bunch of his uh, ilk. It's sad. Never say never. You never know. I don't want him in prison. There's other options I would like for him to go through. (laughs) You never know. I mean, you know, I mean... Again, you never know what's going to happen. You don't know what else he might try to do or what other things may come to light. And you will. I mean, you know, look at Jeffrey Epstein. Like, yeah. Oh, right. No one ever thought anything. He probably never, ever in a million years thought he would end up in jail and die in jail. And he did. Yeah, and his and his girlfriend. She probably never thought in a million years that she would go to jail, and she is. I mean, once you have as much money as them and power, they think they're gods. Yeah, and they get caught out, didn't they? They are the and type so, of people that you kill in your books, and I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Which well, is a good segue for the Queen of Cicadas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Please tell us a synopsis, and then Erica, if you don't mind, would you like to jump in with the first question? Yeah, I mean, basically, oh God, I, I'm shit at synopsis, man. <laughs> I sit there in front of a computer for like an hour with a blank page thinking, <laughs> oh, I, give, me a, give me a novel to write. Don't You're not synopsis. alone. I hate I'm synopsis. Okay, I'm so basically, sorry. <laughs> so, no, it's okay, it's okay. Basically, it's a story about, um, so it starts out with um, Belinda, and she is kind of a woman in her 40s, doesn't know what, you know, her life is a bit like on a pause, she's not very happy, and she goes to a farmhouse that has a very, uh, has a, a history where a Milagros, a farm worker, was murdered, and, uh, but she doesn't know it. She's part of this story. She's part of this greater tale of vengeance and hope and rebirth. Um, And it's set in Texas and it spans across from the um, conquest all the way to modern day. That's what happened. That's it. (laughs) And you have the Aztec queen of the dead. She's in there. Yeah, I feel like this one must be just so hard to summarize because there's so much going on. But I yeah, I know. That's why I'm like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So yeah, so a couple of my questions. Um, this one's going to start off as a, another compliment comment and then dive into a question. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah. So I really love that you're writing can blend the beautiful with the very, very dark. So that was definitely the case in this one. Um, when I picked it up, I felt like I, I had no idea what to expect. I had just heard that this was coming out and I was like, oh, it's me. I'll, I'll grab it. Great. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, so that's something that I've noticed in your works that I've read so far that you just blend those two things totally seamlessly together. And I've relating back to my first comment, um, I've read books where I feel like people try to do that and they kind of fall down on it where yours kind of seems like poetic. Is that something that comes easily to you? You know, um, I think everyone, I truly believe this, and this isn't a unique belief, but 
I truly adhere to it that everybody has the shadow part. They have the light. We are yin and yang inside, you know, we have dual energies and, um, you know, I've lived a lot of life, you know, I'm, I'll be 42 in like two weeks. And, um, so I just take from what's inside my soul, what I see in in the world, people I know, stories I've been told, history, all of it. And I just, I think all of us are filters. All of us are conduits. You know, we have all of these things around us, swirling above us, around us, inside of us. And you just allow your heart and your mind to filter those things and you put it on a page. And that's kind of what I do. That's the best I can explain it. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I can't say like, Oh yes, I, it's so easy. It just, it just is. It's not easy. It's not hard. It just is. And I do my best. So Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> That's the best way to explain that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Thank you. I, oh, you know, there was more. Sorry. Um, <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> this, I, I think this is uh, good early on, while we still have kind of goddess of filth fresh in our mind. You mentioned the Aztec goddess of death, um, or who whose name I will not try to pronounce. I don't know if you want to give it to us. <laughs> I will butcher it as well. So. Okay. Makes me we'll, feel less. We'll keep it. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I know. Practiced, okay, let me just put it to you this way. I have practiced saying the name a million times, and I always get it wrong. So I'm not going to disrespect her or <laughs> anyone by, you know, say, I honestly, you know who's amazing is there's a writer. His name's David Bowles, and he he's great with Nahuatl and, and that's the language, um, you know, that, uh, the, that all of these, the goddesses names are, are from. So, uh, yeah, I don't want to disrespect my goddesses. (laughs) Fair. But, uh, you know, you, you mentioned that goddess in, uh, queen of the cicadas and uh, a different one in, uh, goddess of filth. So I'm, curious i mean i remember doing uh, a unit on aztec lore in like fifth grade but as a mexican-american woman growing up in texas how ingrained is that lore into everyday life uh it's how not. it's not no. <laughs> it's not you have to actively look um for it now you have things like dia de los muertos and you have um where that's kind of part of it coming to the surface. Um, however, it's not like something you're taught because, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of assimilation that goes on. Um, it's and when you're Mexican American, you are kind of in between both cultures, the American culture, the Mexican culture, and it's up to the individual how much that they dive into it. Um, I've chosen to, tr- to, you know, dive into it because that's my ancestry. That's important to me. I think it's beautiful. Um, and, 
yeah, so it's something that you need to go out and, and search for yourself if you so choose. At what point in your life did it really capture your interest and, and you know, made you want to dive into it? Um, I mean, I've always been interested in it. I've always, you know, um, always loved my culture. But when I started writing horror, and I've always read horror, and I've always watched horror films, and it, and that was always missing. My culture, my, you know, me, I've never been represented. And so when I started writing, I was like, you know what, I want to take this in a different area. I want to take this in a different road. I want to bring those stories to the forefront. I want to really explore it. I really want to find out. And also, and this is in my new book that my agent has. Um, I took a DNA test, like Lizzo. <laughs> um, I'm 100% that bitch. <laughs> no, I'm also um, 49%. <laughs> no, but it's, I took a DNA test to 23andMe to find out like the whole breakdown of, of, of my heritage and um, where my uh, people are from in Mexico and my indigenous roots and my Spanish roots and my, you know, I wanted to find it all. So both my parents are Mexican-American. And um, so, you know, both of them are from Mexico, our, our ancestors. Um, my, on my dad's side, I'm second generation. On my mom, I'm like fourth so, or third. So I really wanted to explore it. Um, but as I got older and had children, it just be- it became a, a bigger pool. Again, it's it's individual. It, it it's all, you know, what's 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 calling to your soul. I I think it's all fascinating. I remember being very wrapped up. Now this is probably mostly because the fifth the fifth grade boy in me uh, found the concept of human sacrifice very interesting. <laughs> It's it's one of those units that uh, you know I remember better than some of the other ones. I think there's uh, a rich depth to it that unfortunately a lot of people probably don't know much beyond the human sacrifices, and yeah. that's one of the great benefits to a book like this that you know explores it from from your perspective. Was that a consideration, or was it just a story you felt like you needed to tell? Um. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things beyond the human sacrifice that um, people need to understand. But the concept of sacrifice, because you see in Queen of the Cicadas, sacrifice is a big theme. But we sacrifice in many different ways. So, yeah, it's it's very, you know, kind of uh, like... Um, interesting to know about human sacrifice and it's gory and grotesque and like, oh my God. But um, sacrifices are a part of life. We all have to make sacrifices, big or small. And so that's kind of a theme that I explored in that in general. Like what were the sacrifices some of these people made in general? What sacrifices you had no choice, you know, sacrificing love because it would not be accepted. Sacrificing your needs and wants, sacrificing your body, your soul. So that's um, for your children, for their survival. Um, so, yeah, that's what I kind of wanted to touch on that theme on a, dif- on a deeper level. 
No, uh, I, I'm. I want to give you my take on something in the story, and I want you to tell me if I'm completely off base or expand on it, whichever way. Um, but when I read uh, Milagros's story, um, I, I couldn't help but view it as a perspective. You know, we're we're always taught to look at, uh, at both sides of a story, and you know. Uh, even though the educational system clearly does not do that. But I feel like when we witness the events that happen to Milagros, it's written in a way that there is no dual perspective there. There is no way to justify the actions on the other side. There is no way to justify the complete and utter lack of humanity and just the cruelty uh, that happens to uh, this migrant worker. Uh, now, was that something that you did on purpose? Yes, because hate hate has no purpose in this world. Because, again, the Queen of the Dead is a flayed woman. You peel back our skin, you peel back all of the superficial things that we place our, our worth in. We're all the same if you strip it down. If you take away the skin, the superficial, we are all the same. And there's nothing to hate because we all are spirit. We're all flesh. We're blood. We're bone. You know, peel back our superficial and we look the same. Peel back our, our, our gender. We are still the same. Yet we hate. And there is no room for it. There's no excuse to hate the way humans hate each other. There isn't. No matter what your, your, your political beliefs, your religious beliefs, your any beliefs, there's no room for it. There's no need for it. And when you look at the world, it all comes from hate. So that's kind of, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it's, I can't do anything but agree wholeheartedly with that. <laughs> Um, and, and I think, again, I think that that particular scene is just so effective in conveying that is that there's no, that there's nothing, you can't get within 10 miles of a justification there. It's hate, pure and simple. And when you read it, it, you, you hate, hate, you, yeah. <laughs> um, which I suppose is the only way it can exist in order to hate And that's itself. the whole, that's, that's like, you know, the point. And sometimes people say like, why can't we have stories that are just you know, joy and this and this and this, because we live in a really awful world and we need to discuss these things. We can't just sugarcoat them anymore. So we haven't earned it. <laughs> we, we haven't earned sunshine and rainbows and lollipops all day. <laughs> no. <laughs> Mitch, I want mermaids and unicorns as much as the next person. Okay. <laughs> Erica, I've been I've been hogging the 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 questions. Go ahead. Oh no, this is perfect because kind of on the topic of hate, I love that your work centers around that vengeance and revenge, and I think it's even more powerful when you've got scenes like that where you're just like, wow, yeah, I hate the people that are doing this to her. I don't want to see them have a happy ending. Um, oh, and so they don't. <laughs> yeah, love it every time. I love it, and I love to when you set up stories like this. Like obviously, this one was 
very to the point, but you also have some stories where you kind of like sprinkle it in a little bit and then you slowly start to hate certain characters. Uh, (laughs) Is that something that we can expect in your future stories that you're working on? Um, Yeah. So um, the generational curse of La Llorona, which is with my agent looking for a home is very personal. So it deals with um, postpartum depression and the, 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 um, story of La Llorona and that one's a real complicated one because it's it deals with mental health it deals with perception versus reality um and yeah there are people that you might not like and you're like what but but it's very uh, it's a very centered story but the one um so I have um talking about hate in November Mestiza Blood Drops from Flame Tree Press and that's my short story collection and I have you know, quite a, a quite a few stories with the kind of people you'll be like, oh, they're gonna get it. <laughs> so yeah, you'll get more from Mestiza Blood, um, and then uh, yeah, and then the two other novels I have, we'll see what happens. But yeah, that is a thing that I kind of do, where you're like, who is this? <laughs> cool, I love it. <laughs> Thank you. That new release. Thank you. Erica, do you have anything else on Queen of the Cicadas? Um, just, I guess, another comment. It d- doesn't really tail into a question, but um, Hector's storyline. So talking about like postpartum and, you know, trying yeah. to do things like that. Um, I talked about this very briefly on another episode, but, you know, my husband and I have been trying for a while. Nothing's been happening yet. Um, so we're starting to go through some blood tests and things like that. So now I'm like more sensitive when stuff like that pops up in books or before it like didn't even phase me mm-hmm. but Hector's storyline even though he was not like a full focus character but you he, he was there a lot um yeah I just, again I feel like you handled that whole thing really well so I'm very curious to see what the upcoming release is like I'm I'm sure that was very painful but kind of like um therapeutic to write and get out there and I think those stories are so important because it still seems like kind of a taboo subject where people are like, oh, don't talk about that. It's your personal life. Like, you know, do that behind the scenes. It's fine. Everything will be fine. And I like that in your work, you're just like, well, no, it's not fine. And here's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Because, you know, I, you know, I've, I have my daughter now, but it was a long road. It was a long road. It was, I, and I didn't think it was going to happen. Um, and you know, it was, um, in this new book that I hope finds a home, you know, I talk, I, I touch on that, like, you know, you know, the struggle there is, um, you know, loss, um, in Mestiza blood, there is a, a, a story called the Latin Queens of Miklan. And there's a very personal story in there, uh, dealing with, um, a miscarriage. And it's, again, that's another thing that you don't really talk about is like, you know, what really happens. And it's, it's one of those things where you, you know, you suffer a loss. And again, with sacrifice, what do you do? You know, in the story, I touch on where the character is suffering a loss, but it's the day of her child's birthday. And instead of canceling the birthday, she just goes through it. 
and allows it to happen all day during the party because she doesn't want to let the guests down. She doesn't want to let her child down. She doesn't want to let anyone down. So she allows the loss to happen without anybody knowing and enduring that pain. So, yeah, we need to talk about those things. Absolutely. Especially as women, because we like we carry we put it on our shoulders and we're like, no, we have to sacrifice. We have to we have to bear the loss so that others can be happy. And it's hard. And, and it feels like a lot of the time, you know, we you I'm going to say you I said we that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> might feel like you can't talk about it because that's just kind of what society says. And it, it, it all stems from a place of when people say we don't talk about this, it's it's just another way of saying that I care more about my comfort than your discomfort. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, when you break it down to that point, it's just, it, it's it's wrong and it's indefensible. Mm. Well, the way I, f- I see it is that, you know what, there's so much wrong with society. There's so many broken things about society. Fuck what society thinks. Go for it. Write that story. Um, be kind. Do the thing. Um, fuck, fuck it. What, it, it. You know, we need to make change. We need to evolve as people, as a society. The time is now. So, yeah, write those stories. Publish those stories. Talk about those stories. Let people feel and breathe and be open about it because it's worse to hold it in. It's worse to feel alone. Since you've been writing, V, I'm curious if you feel more. I'm going to use a phrase that, or something that you talked about, the universe, because um, I'm in the same camp as you. Uh, not to get all preachy, but going back and forth from religion, what do you believe in? Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I think. For me, it's the universe, energies, and so forth. So I'll use that from here on out for this episode uh, when I talk about this. But do you feel more connected to the universe ever since you started writing and exploring all your truths, all the things that you have internally that you're battling with? Uh, And a big one, um, I know that you can probably relate to this. Ever since, for me, ever since I had my son... I'm scared of every single thing hurting him. He was, he choked on this little thing, this little Aww. confetti thing we oh found God. at a park, and it scared the shit out of me. I, I got it. I, like, you know, I did the yeah. whatever the hell that thing's called. Uh, but I want him to have fun, and internally I'm freaking out, so I expressed <laughs> that recently with all these kids going through horrible things. And it's not like it's not me trying to gross anyone out, but Chuck Palahniuk told me and Brennan that is your way of dealing with your biggest fears. So back to my question was, do you feel more connected with the universe now that you're writing and expressing yourself and um, as a parent? So this is a two part question, I guess. Do you feel do you feel a little bit at ease or therapeutic when you're writing uh, with fears that have to do with your child? Um, well, first, I'm glad your baby's okay, and it does get easier. <laughs> oh I will warn, it does, so it gets easier and it gets scarier. 
scarier no. as in like when they start with the attitude and they st- oh my lord girl he's um, already but, got it he's not he's not a tea yet <laughs> yeah i feel, <laughs> um i definitely feel more tapped into like you know my spiritual side and uh since writing and since because that was it was all part of it it was a all part of this kind of like um awakening this aha moment this something is so no something is so not right inside of me around me i just i had to i had to um something had to change and like i actually um stopped drinking december 31st and i didn't drink again until like mid may and i had one wow. glass of prosecco yeah 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 i gave Congrats. it up Thank you. I had one glass to celebrate. Um, But yeah, I just had to, I really had to have a clean break and just like cleanse myself. And um, so, yeah, I do feel the writing and being positive and, um, you know, it's just kind of something's changed in me and, and hopefully in some way it can help others, even if it's one person. Um, And for, as far as my children, I, they're going to they're gonna look back and they'll be like, my mom was fucking insane. When did she write this? When did she do this? Today, my 15-year-old was like, mom, I want a quesadilla. Excuse me? Please? Thank you? Okay, mommy, I love you. <laughs> they don't care. Honestly, he's like, whatever. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> he, they don't care. He wants his quesadilla and his... <laughs> He's like, where's my quesadilla? Where are my nachos? Because he loves, oh, so good. yeah, he um, likes the kind of junk Tex-Mex that I make. <laughs> I would probably too if you if you were making me food. That sounds delicious. <laughs> um, I remember this kind of reminds me of when Peter Straub was going through some life or death situations last year. I remember his daughter. I, think it's Emma. I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure it's Emma Strong. Um, She was posting stuff about her dad, how she's like, you know, he's written all these horror stories about serial killers and this and that, and I get to live through my dad's eyes and experiences during those phases of his life. And I don't know about you guys, but, like, that's how I kind of hope my kid perceives my writing. Is there anything... Uh, is that kind of a truth with you as well, V? Yeah, I mean, I think on the bigger issue, I want my daughter to look back and be like, you know, my mom did this from nothing. I want my children to say, like, she's, she made something from nothing. She persevered. She worked hard. She um, believed in herself. Um, <clears throat> so for me, it's it's almost bigger than them looking back at my life and my life experience. It's like she did this thing. And she didn't give up and she tried to be a positive force and she wanted to be a light. Um, Cause they may just say like, yeah, the shit she wrote was bonkers. I mean, bananas really. <laughs> and like, where did she, where did, how did she think about these things? But, but yeah, they might look back and say like, wow, she really went through a lot, but she persevered. So for me, that's the bigger lesson is if my mom can do it, I can do it. 
That's great. Uh, Brennan or Erica, jump in, please. I've been hogging the ear time. <laughs> uh, you know what? We, we've mentioned Mestiza Blood a few times out in November. Let's let's talk about that. Um, one of my questions about it is, is it all original or are you bringing back any uh, stories that have been previously published that people might have missed? Um, I'm thinking of uh, Kukui of Cancun or even Lobster Trap from We Are Wolves. Uh, just the Latin Queens of Miklan, because that was part of a, an anthology that didn't really get a lot of airtime. It did; it was just kind of. Um, so that one is coming back, the Latin Queens of Miklan, and um, but everything else is new. Everything is new, and it blends folklore. Um, there are a few stories about sex work, uh, urban legends, a lot of urban legend from Texas growing up. Um, and just like, yeah, a blend of everything, kind of like me. <laughs> How did you set about, you know, once you have that, that bunch of stories in front of you and you know that they're all going to be put together in one book, how did you go about sorting the order? What's your process? Especially since you've uh, done a little editing work as far as uh, Latinx Screams is concerned. Uh, yeah, so I, um, I mean, I just, honestly, this is, I just like cut and pasted them. And then the editor was like, oh, I think you should move these around. Okay. <laughs> as far as the order, I didn't really have an idea. I just put them where I thought they, oh, sorry, there's one more. Uh, there's a Christmas story that I wrote for Kendall Reviews that years ago that's in there. Um, and it's called The Most Wonderful Time of the Year. Um, hmm. And that was just on the website. But what was I, that? I, years ago, like two years ago or something. Man, um, I missed that A Christmas one story. Somehow. Okay. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's, I didn't really, ha I had no clear idea about the, the order it was just kind of like oh here here they are and then uh don was like oh move this around and then that was it you know i asked this last time um so it's kind of jumping back on an old question about what it was like to work with don but now that you've worked with quite a few editors and in i'm gonna speak for brennan here too in our opinion one of the best um the last god at least 20 years in this genre you probably have a lot more um experience of what to look for and how to approach writing i would think with your first drafts your early drafts and so forth uh what do you what advice would you give younger writers that don't have that experience to try to sell their manuscript maybe their first manuscript um again like, don't edit your voice. Don't don't feel self-conscious, especially if you're from a marginalized community um, or you're talking about a subject like mental health or, and you've experienced that. Um, don't edit your voice. Like, just be yourself. Be yourself. Be authentic. Because that is what's going to connect. Just be authentic. and uh, And just go over it. Read over it. Um, you can have a beta reader because honestly, I swear to God, you can like read the same paragraph paragraph like three times and you'll still miss like that comma or you'll actually, you won't, 
you I mean, I have <laughs> looked at <laughs> manuscripts and I've spelled like mi mixed up spelling here and here, like here, like, and I'm like, I know the difference, but how did I miss that? Like stupid stuff like that. Or like it's, and I missed the apostrophe like 10 times, you know, and it should be little things like that. You just, you, you read something so many times, you just like, you forget. Um, and it's almost embarrassing. You're like, oh my God, how did I, <laughs> um, but you just go over it and over it. And again, like I said, have an open mind. If you get a few editors pointing out the same thing, if you have beta readers pointing out the same thing, have an open mind to change it or don't look at it and go back to it. So I would say the most important thing is be authentic, be open-minded to feedback, um, and then just read over it, keep going, even if it means putting it aside for a little bit. That's fantastic. Uh, anyone else want to jump in? You know, just just on the topic of, of Dawn and Flame Tree, uh, it, we talked about this a lot in the last episode, but I'm just, so here we are six months later, uh, no, sorry, like eight or nine months later, and I'm just still so pleased for you to see Thank them. Thank you. Not only one, but two of your books to see that much in your work that they're going to go out and they're going to say, we not only do we want, you know, this novel that it's, you know, it's raw and it speaks to us, but uh, to grab a short story collection as well, because those aren't easy sells all the time. So for them to believe in your work that much, like, I love it. It makes my heart happy. Thank you. Same here, because I love Mestiza Blood. I loved it, um, and uh, and and it, it was like my thing. I wanted it so bad to get published, and yeah, the collections are notoriously difficult. So I was like, "Wow!" And um, yeah, kind of. So I'm excited about it again. Like, there's one story in there called "The Demon in My Eye," and um, about like a woman who's a bat and it's like a dystopian, like post-apocalyptic and she's half bat because she was like taken by a lab and you know, oh. all this stuff. It's bizarre. It's wild. <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> so I am really like psyched for this, um, for this whole collection to come out. But yeah, it was, it meant a lot to me for it to come out and I cannot wait for November. Um, and I'll be at Scares at Care in like 28 days, no, more than 28 days, like July 29th is, or the 30, I don't know, the 30th. So if anyone's like listening, yeah, come to Scares at Care and then I'll be at the, um, yeah, in October, book, the book festival. Merrimack Book Valley, uh, Merrimack Valley Book Festival for Scares at Care. Do you have a table? Yes. Flame Tree. Oh, okay. Do you know who else is going to be at that one with you? I think Jonathan, Jonathan Hunter. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, I think those two I know for sure will be there from Flame Tree. I'm not sure about anyone else. I don't know. My wife's got to kill me. I don't know how I'm not going to buy all these books. <laughs> 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 I'm going to be there. I can't wait to see you guys. Uh, very, it'll be my first time, so I'm, I'm pumped. I'm going to be at the Silver Shamrock table representing the show and uh, not really selling much besides like 15 
books of an anthology has nothing to do with that publisher. His <laughs> Ken was like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> so, um, I'll be there with Todd Keeslin. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. So if there'll be one author at the table. That's good. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see everybody. Cause I, you know, post pandemic, this is like the first time, like everything's been virtual. Everything has been, yeah. so it'll be awesome to like meet the people you've only spoken to or interacted with. Um, on social media and email. So yeah, I'm excited. And it's for a good cause. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Scares of care will be fun. But Merrimack, uh, is it Merrimack Valley Book Festival? Did I yes. even say that? Okay. Yeah. So that one looks like it's going to be the biggest one in the genre. The lineup is insane. And you are in that lineup. So please tell us I can't believe how. it. I was like, what? <laughs> tell us all about it. How'd that come about? Um, Christopher Golden blurbed, uh, Latinx screams and, um, the queen of the cicadas. And then he just reached out to me. That, that's awesome. Um, Brennan, do you know the list off the top of your head? Oh my gosh. I know a couple. I know uh, Paul Tremblay will be there. Uh, Brian Keene, Mary San Giovanni. I'll be there. Obviously, that's top billing. Um, Chis- <laughs> I my coffee. Chismar, uh, Victor Laval. Uh, it, Sadie Hartman will be there. Sadie uh, Hartman, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Keesling, um, Mike Clark. Uh, God, who else? Well, nobody tuned in to hear us read a long list, but the point is there are going to be a ton of absolutely stellar. You know, I was excited to go to this uh, before. This will be the first time I get to go to something like this. And for the lineup, just look the way it does. Uh, You know, V, I didn't expect to see you on there just because you're all the way over in London. And I'm thrilled, you know. Yeah, I'm excited. the, uh, The four of us will get together. We'll have to do a picture or something. Yes, absolutely. I, I'm down. I'm down. I'm ready. Heads up. I am as tall or a little bit taller than Jonathan Jay. So I'm a big guy. Okay. <laughs> I saw the picture with you and Jonathan from StokerCon. And, He's um, huge. Yeah. I'm 4'11". I'm not even five foot. So everybody's like a giant to me. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> I don't know how to follow that up. But Merrimack is going to be fun. It's free to enter or to go in there. And yeah, it's free. It's uh, in uh, Rob Zombie's uh, hometown, Haverhill, Massachusetts. Cool. Oh, I wish she was there. That'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, Erica. Yeah, right. Erica, why don't you take us away with something else? Yeah, so to completely change direction, um, I was reading through your website, um, and I started laughing so hard when you said that you dislike rom-coms except for Love Actually. Yeah. That is one of my favorite movies, but I, too, not a big fan of rom-coms. It's like that in The Holiday. That's it. That's <laughs> yeah. Boondock Saints, things like that. Yeah. yeah. So I have to ask, do you have a favorite character from that movie? Love Actually? Mm-hmm. I love, oh, God, I love all of it. Um, well, Liam Neeson is hot, for one. And then I love the scene... Um, that always gets me and like, oh, where he shows up at the door with the big cards and he's like, to me, you're perfect. Mm-hmm. Oh, that just like grabs my fucking heart. <laughs> um, I love he's hot, too. And he's like sweet and 
he does that. I love that. Um, uh, favorite character. I mean, the guy who goes, the, the caterer, the young guy who goes to the U.S. because he's like, he can't find a girl. And then he, <laughs> I love it. Uh, Denise Richards at the end where she's like, hey, that's awesome. Um, I like them all. I like all the characters. Oh, I like it all. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember his name in the in the movie, but is his name Hugh Grant, the actor? Yep. Yes, the, the who's the prime minister. <laughs> yeah, when he goes dancing through that doorway, that is my Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I love the sweet scene, the writer with the Portuguese. Uh, she's mm-hmm. like the housekeeper. Oh, I love that. And she like jumps in the, the pond for his, oh, my. And he shows up and he goes all that way you know, to find her. And it's just like, it hits him. He's like, she's the one. Like, I, I just, you know, for me, like someone to look at you and be like, you're just the fucking one now and forever. You're just the one. Um, like there's something really spiritual about that and like, uh, just real. And, uh, it crosses time. It crosses just everything so uh, yeah that movie is like huh yeah if you guys haven't watched it yet go watch it (laughs) for rom-coms i really and i had to look this up but it it considers it a rom-com is the movie's called yesterday when the beatles uh suddenly vanish and there's very few on the planet that remember that they were a thing and the guy the main character is a, a guitarist and um the one his one is uh the person that's been helping him from the beginning and he's just singing all these Beatles songs. He has to remember them word for word and he becomes a big hit and corporate, the corporations are trying to like say like the white album that won't sell. And it's funny. There's a love story in it too. There's plenty of music. So that's the movie I'd throw out there. If anyone's interested. Okay. Brennan, how about you? (laughs) I, I'm having trouble bringing one to mind. Uh, I have not seen <laughs> uh, My favorite actor in that movie is Alan Rickman, but I think I remember oh, seeing him. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, was, he was great, I should say. Totally. Rest, rest in peace, sir. Die hard. <laughs> so, uh, um, 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 um. so where do we go from? I know there's no way to follow that up. I, I, I knew it was going to realize, but I had to ask. Um, I do have another one um, just at the top of my list. But, you know, speaking of your website, you have a page dedicated to diverse books by diverse authors. So yeah. can you talk to us a little bit about that? And maybe, Brennan, I know you had questions about Fright Girl Summer. So I think those will go nicely together. Yeah, well, unfortunately, I just don't have any time to, like, update that anymore. Um, And it's been really slow just because personal stuff and life stuff um, to with doing more with Fright Girl Summer. But, yeah, it's just because, again, you know, when I was starting out, not seeing a lot of um, places for people from marginalized communities to kind of have their books celebrated and pushed to the front. you know, we started that and it was something that, that grew from my own kind of like, oh, where do I start? And then seeing, oh, wait, there's nothing like that. There's nothing that's really pushing it. We need to push more and just trying to kind of, again, try to be a light, try to be a positive force. Um, 
because I think you'll get more done with that than negativity and hate. <laughs> so it's kind of like, let me do what I can, even if I can't, you know, constantly do it and I can't dedicate all my time. At least it's a start. At least it's something. Um, cause if we all did just something, it'll all add up. So yeah, I just wanted to kind of shout out a few people, a few books you never know someone is going to look at it and it'll make a difference to that author. It'll make a difference to the person who reads it. They'll tell it about to someone else. There is a knock on effect to the smallest of things. And, and, you know, there is a knock on effect to the small little things that we do. You know, don't ever think that your kindness, your positivity, your light is too small to make a difference. You don't know how far it'll travel. So why not do it? Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, Erica mentioned Fright Girl Summer, and we're we're we've you've been doing that for a year now. Um, yeah, it was kind of the impetus for us having you on in the first place. Thank we you. It slowed there. down though because of uh, life stuff, but yeah. Uh, well, I mean, of course, as things do, but you know, it's the the list has of of authors for people to check out has continued to be on, the, um, and you know, there's there's a year under your belt of publishing stories, uh, and essays, uh, from women from all over the horror genre. So, is is at this point, is it more of just almost a resource for people to look at, or do you have plans for the future with it? Yeah, I mean, I, we still want to publish people. Eve Harms is going, well, you know, her book is coming out, so we're doing something for Eve Harms. Um, it is definitely going to stay up as a resource, but also I will try when I can to do a little bit more, but right now I'm just, like, under the gun, and I've had things happen personally that I need to, you know, attend to. Um, so, yeah, I'm just kind of, like, going with the flow, see what happens. Again, you know, it's at least it is a resource. You don't know who's going to look at it and what books are going to choose and how that's going to. So yeah, I want it to stay up and, and just do as much as I can when I can. That's awesome. Uh, Erica, unless you have any more questions, I'd really love to go to what are you reading now? Start with V. So you got anything else? No, that was it. Perfect timing. <laughs> Speaking of reading V, what are you currently reading? Uh, <laughs> my own manuscripts. I'm so, it's like really hard right now. I have no open books. I did, um, write the foreword for Sonora Taylor's, uh, new collection. Ooh. Um, and, and that's, and that was really good. I enjoyed the stories, but other than that, and I have dark stars by from edited by Taff, but I haven't had a chance to finish it. Um, but yeah, I've just been under the gun. I've just been under the gun, so I haven't really had any. I haven't had time to read. Read. No, that's not a bad thing. I mean, that just means more of your books are going to be. Yeah, out. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Erica, how about you? Yeah, so uh, kind of similar. I've had a lot of personal stuff going on. We're back in the office for the first time since last March, so I'm trying to just be gentle. I know it's it's rough. <laughs> I actually broke out in a rash <laughs> the third Oy. day. Like, oh, I'm no. Great. Um, so yeah, so I was trying to navigate that, but I just started reading. I'm going to butcher the title, so I'm just going to hopefully one of you guys knows it. But the new Ronald Kelly book, the tales about the spiders. Um, yeah. I just started yeah. that. Bad idea for me, but I'm going to continue reading. I am petrified of spiders, so Aye. they're nasty, nasty little things. Um, 
I started it late one night and I was sitting in bed and I was like, every little tickle that I'm feeling now, (laughs) but it's really good so far. I'm only a couple stories in. um, So I'm really excited to see where he keeps going from here because I'm sure, I mean, just the titles of the stories. I'm like, Oh God, I'm in way over my head. Um, But then I'm diving into Slattery Falls. So wicked excited about that, Brennan. (laughs) I'm not nervous at all. It's (laughs) I feel great. Um, <laughs> it'll be no, I, great I'm sure <laughs> what's Slattery Falls so ignoring that um, when you, <laughs> did you read um, Ronald Kelly's The Essential Six Stuff no I don't so think so is, this book would be your first time reading the story Housewarming did you get to that one yet no I don't think so because oh, that doesn't sound familiar so much. I hate it so much oh, in God. exactly <laughs> the way that you were talking about <laughs> So enjoy that one. <laughs> right. Thank you. <laughs> Brennan, how about you, man? What you reading? Uh, I've got a couple things. I am a little ways into Goblin by Josh Mallerman. Um, and it, it it's so up my alley. It's, you know, weird, small town mosaic novel. And I absolutely love both of those things. And, you know, he's just creativity incarnate. So, you know, it's going to be interesting you know it's going to hold your attention uh the other one that i am super excited to talk about i literally just started this this morning and i'm already a third of the way through it and i i honestly i might finish it today is uh go down hard by ali c um and it is c by the way i looked it up so i wouldn't butcher it um and it's it's just so engaging uh it, it it sets up like you know something you've read before and then 15 pages in just completely flips on its head. Um, yeah, I'm really interested. I'm probably going to go back to that after we're done here. That's very cool, man. So um, I'm only reading two books. I've already said this in a few episodes, so nothing new, but The Throat of Peter Straub and uh, uh, The Books of Blood, Volume 1 through 3 by Clive Barker. Um, I'm going to be adding to that shortly. So, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> Hey, uh, listeners, if you are interested in Dead Headspace merchandise, go to deadheadspace.com. Click on the store tab. You can also check out articles from uh, a few guest uh, columnists, articleists. I don't know what the proper terminology is. Uh, reviews as well. Um, and let's jump to V. Where can people follow you? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram and Twitter at V Latina London, all one word uh vvcashra.com um yeah so that's that's me fright girl summer www.frightgirlsummer.com check out the reading lists uh yeah so you can basically uh find me there that's that's how you can follow me and i'm i'm typically around uh i jump on and off of twitter um but I'm typically on Instagram, so yeah. Say hi, tag me, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess that leads us to our final thoughts. V, do you have any final thoughts? My final thought is just be kind to each other, especially on social media. Just be kind. Just be cool. If you got something nice to say, say it. If you don't, not everybody needs to know like honestly there are enough opinions <laughs> you know if you if you you can say things without cutting people down you can be 
you know, you don't have to feel you're censored. It's just called being kind. It's called being nice. It's called be the light. Don't be an asshole. That's all. That little be uh, kindness. Yeah. That little bunny in uh, Bambi said, uh, basically, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. So that's pretty good yeah. advice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Erica, final thoughts. Yeah, um, I just I'm so excited to meet you guys all in person this fall. Yay. Yeah, I, it's like right around the corner from where I live, I feel like. So I'm I'm really excited because I'm completely out of vacation time. So I was like, oh, no, I can't do much. But this one's pretty local. So that'll, that'll be exciting. So I'll see you guys there. Eric LaRocca will be there, too. I forgot to mm-hmm. mention. Um, man, we've literally talked about him for four episodes straight now. So. It'll be nice to see you in person. Um, Brennan, final thoughts. Uh, my final thoughts are that bunny from Bambi has a name and it's Thumper. Uh, uh, damn it. <laughs> beyond that, you know, V, we're always happy to have you. Uh, Thank you for having me. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, you don't, we don't invite people back three times unless we really. <laughs> That's big kisses. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Caught it. <laughs> for everybody out there. Mwah, mwah. <laughs> Uh, my final thoughts are uh, I'm Echo and Brennan and Erica. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate you as always. And I can't wait for Merrimack. Can't wait for Scares I Care. I know. Yeah, it's going to be good. And Gabino's going to be at Scares and I can't wait to give that big bastard a hug. Uh, yeah, he's big. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, next episode. Well, actually, before we jump to that, today is July 1st. Also, if you're interested, Unburying the Dead has episode five up. We have our first guest host, uh, the probably kindest human in the horror genre, Jonathan Jans. He talks to us about Peter Benchley's Jaws, and we compare notes with the film, and it, it's a good time. Uh, next episode for Dead Headspace is episode 100 with Joe Lansdale. That airs this Monday. Uh, there's a few new things for the video version. So stay tuned for that. And as always, thank you for picking us to listen to. You have many choices in podcasts. You are now leaving Deadhead Space.